But how good, how good was Carol's last week? I had a ball, and truly, I probably had one of the funnest jobs of the whole thing, getting to stand on the platform and play these great songs about Jesus and, you know, in front of a crowd of 1,500 people or 2,000 people, whatever it was. It looked full. It looked like there was a lot of people there. So it was good. You know, here we are just two weeks away from Christmas again. And it seems like that, that last couple of months just kind of goes bang, you know, and you're there. Um, so it's wild. Um, but yeah, Carol's last week, and that was, I mean, it seemed very early to be doing it at the start of December, but the truth is, if you do it any later, it just crashes into every other event under the sun. And uh, so that's what worked. But there's a lot of fun. It's a great time. It's, it's amazing hearing, like, school groups getting up on the platform and singing songs about Jesus. And it, I, I actually had a moment, I, I must confess, I had a moment standing there uh, when I wasn't on the platform and just watching what else was happening. And I just found myself wondering how many people actually make sense of the nativity story, of all these songs that we sing. You know, all the stuff that goes on about stars and shepherds and angels and, you know, it's all over our trees and despite the fact that Santa kind of dominates the, the shops and the marketing side of it, you know, the nativity elements, the, the, these kind of key images of the story of the birth of Jesus are, still permeate our Christmas traditions and I just found myself wondering how many people actually make any sense of this is it just something that they do and they sort of repeat with the sort of a vague idea that it's something about this person Jesus's baby and I don't know but we do it because it's fun right it's part of our Christmas deal we just do it you know, there's a movie out at the moment in our cinemas, mainstream cinema release, Journey to Bethlehem. Caroline and I went to see it last Saturday night, not last night, you know, eight days ago. And, um, you know, it was a lot of fun. It was, it's um, beautifully told. You know, I found myself absolutely tearing up in different parts of the film as, as they portrayed the story of Mary and Joseph and all the, all the events and the intensity of that whole thing around the birth of Christ, um, it's full on when you actually read about it, you know, with Herod murdering an entire village of children two years old and under. And there's, you know, these prophetic portents in the sky and people, you know, these wise men, Magi, coming from thousands of kilometers away because they'd seen signs in the sky and you know apparently for two years they'd since they saw it and traveled and actually came and arrived in this little town of Bethlehem and tiny village you know a little bit of a backwater next to Jerusalem so it's out of the way all these things you know um do people actually comprehend what that is all about how much do we even comprehend it you know um i 
just mentioning that movie, I should give a content warning. It is a musical. <laughs> if you go and see it. <laughs> it's got singing and dancing. It's very much high school musical meets the nativity. So, so just to give you a heads up. Now, I'm not a big fan of musicals. Um, we did have to tolerate high school musical one, two and three and who knows what else in our household. But, but I did actually find it uh, very enjoyable and, as I said, very moving. Um, it's, a, it's actually a pretty good portrait of Herod, if you want to see a, a good one. Antonio Banderas getting his full, you know, growly singing and dancing going. <laughs> it's, it's quite camp in some ways, but it's also... Um, it's a lot of fun, but if people go and see it, how much of it do they actually understand the significance of this story? You know? Angels saying peace on earth and goodwill to men. What do they make of that when right now Israel and the Gaza Strip are going hell for leather trying to destroy one another? You know, when they, when they look at the world around, what do they make of that? That there is, you know, it doesn't seem like war has stopped at all. You know? How can we help people make sense of a tiny newborn baby in a young family of no significance, no particular significance, just common people, not royalty, nothing to set them apart from anyone else at the time other than Joseph, I think, and Mary both, if you look at Luke's Gospel and Matthew's Gospel, of human descent being distantly related to King David. Nothing else significant about them at all. How do we help people make sense of that? How many of us, if someone actually asked us, what is this all about, could actually confidently express why? Why a tiny brand newborn in an animal shelter, a shed, in the middle of nowhere, in a little country, at the crossroads of the world, but under Roman occupation, how is this the king? How many of us could do this? And, and I actually want to ponder that. I want to sit with that because it matters. It matters that we get it. It matters that we understand the significance of not just, you know, because we can, we can learn things, you know, Jesus is God and Jesus is man and he died on a cross to save us from our sins. And we can learn these things and yet when we look at a stable in Bethlehem, do we comprehend why? What is the meaning? What is the significance? Is it just an interesting part of the story or is, does it matter? And I would say, yes, absolutely it does. You know, there's, as, as I thought about today and this afternoon and what I wanted to share, what came to mind first, to me, the first thing that came to mind is actually a part of the Nicene Creed. Now, in our modern sort of Pentecostalism, we don't typically pay much attention to ancient creeds and things. If you grew up in the Catholic Church or the Anglican Church or something strongly traditional like that, you would know these very well because they're part of what you do all the time. But this 
this one phrase, you know, the Nicene Creed, it's, it's fairly long, I'm not going to read all of it, but it begins, we believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all that is seen, all that is, seen and unseen. We believe in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God. This is all immensely significant stuff. That was this, what, what I'm reading is the, the result of hundreds of years of wrestling with this, the implications of who Jesus is and what he did, what he came to do. The first, the first section, God the Father, maker of all, unseen and seen. Well, further down, what do we find? That Jesus is begotten, not made, not created. Of one being with the Father. Through him, all things were made. Here's the phrase that grabbed my my attention, sort of gripped me, that God is on this for us today. For us, for us men, and that's all embracing, of course. Let's not think it's about masculinity. Masculinity, I should point to someone else, not myself. I'm not the perfect image of masculinity. For us men, for us people, us humanity, and for our salvation, he came down from heaven. By the power of the Holy Spirit, he became incarnate of the Virgin Mary and was made man. Wow. This is at the center of the gospel message that Jesus... For us and for our salvation became man. Why? Why? The thing is, we cannot underestimate the importance of the humanity of Jesus. The fact that he came and was born, that he was a man. Fully and completely cannot be cannot be overestimated. And we do affirm that full divinity, the full godness of Jesus, that as the creed that I just read out affirms, of the very same essence as the Father. You know that. Being uncreated, being one with God, that he is God from God, that he is light from light, that he is the true God from true God. Now there's a mystery in this. I am not going to try and unpack for us today the Trinity and how that works. The truth is we will never comprehend the inner nature of the being of God. But he has revealed us, revealed to us himself, and primarily in the person of Jesus. 
What is Hebrews chapter 1? It opens up. It says that God, it starts off that God previously spoke to us through the prophets. So God revealed himself as the word of the Lord, spoken through the prophets. But then the writer of Hebrews says, but now he has spoken to us by his son. And it goes on to say this in verse 3. The sun is the radiance of God's glory. So as God's glory emanates, the sun is the display of that. The exact representation of his being. Sustaining all things by his powerful word. So Jesus is not just an image like a projection. He is the one sustaining all things by his powerful word. It says, after he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. This is Jesus, whom we worship, who's glorified. And here's what we must affirm in our understanding of who Jesus is and what he came to do, that only God can save. Only God can forgive sin. And even more so, only God can break the power of sin. Only God, who is the source of life, can make anything or anyone live. Only God can give life to the dead. And all that being the case, why could God not just forgive us and heal us? Why did he come to us in the person of Jesus? I think if we look again at that verse from Hebrews, we see the heart of the issue, what he came to do, provided purification for sin. You see, it's not just simply about God forgiving us. It's about him breaking the power of sin. Because forgiveness is a free gift, right? It's offered freely. You can't earn forgiveness, really. For it to be true forgiveness, it's free. It's given. And, you know, we, we learn what it means to forgive one another as as. You know, that's the Lord's Prayer, isn't it? Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. But only God can actually break the power of sin because we can keep forgiving, but we can also keep on sinning. And isn't that the way of it? Without God, that is what we're a slave to. That's the pattern of human existence without God. But to break that power, he needs to change something in us. And so how does he do that? When we are born as slaves to sin, we're born into this broken creation that we are part of. How does God interrupt that? 
he too is born into it. He changes our humanity. Because the truth is that the humanity as a slave to sin is not God's design. That's not true humanity. That's broken humanity. That's dead humanity. That's, that's what happened after the fall. That's what happened because of sin. It's not what humanity was created for. None of us were created for that. And when we look to Jesus, he is the true humanity. He is the perfect image of God's creation for us, God's design for us. And so in coming to us, that's what God has done. Did we read Matthew? I don't think we did. I think I skipped over it. I skipped over it. Let's go back. Because it, I want us to ponder this. I don't want to rush over it just like I can speak for half an hour or whatever. But this is a season that we get to sit and ponder. We get to sit and refresh ourselves again in the truth of what it means that Jesus came. And you know, in the first chapter of Matthew... The first chapter of the New Testament, right at, at the very outset, Matthew uses this one title four times, Jesus, the Messiah. He says it again and again and again and again because he wants us to get it. Let's read just from verse 18, the latter part of the chapter. Starts off with a long genealogy and, and then he writes this. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. That um, movie I just talked about, Journey to Bethlehem, actually highlights some of the intensity of what that must have been like for young Mary. And for Joseph, trying to wrestle with what to do. It's, it's the passage just before this where... Um, oh, actually, no, we'll keep reading. Sorry. It's this passage. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and did not, yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. He actually cared about Mary, even though in his perception in his just human assumption this was not okay something bad had gone down for her to be pregnant and she's like his betrothed and hey it wasn't me you know but after he had considered this an angel of the lord appeared to him in a dream and said joseph son of david do not be afraid to take mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord 
had said through the prophet, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. So here we have this title, Messiah, God's anointed one is what it means. You know, the, the people, the Jewish people were longing for this, this figure who would come and set them free from oppression, from Roman rule and, and basically anything bad. You know, that Messiah would come and he's going to set everything right. When he comes, everything will be good. The problem is they had no conception of how God would do that. But his name, even his name there, Jesus, we, you know, you have to kind of look to some Greek interpretation and, and Hebrew interpretation to understand that Jesus, or in Hebrew, Yeshua, actually means the Lord saves. Hence, he's called the Lord saves because he will save the people from their sin. And so here is the greatest wonder of the whole story. Not that this you know, glorious, radiant, mighty God has come to save the people through his great power and might, you know, the vision of a great king riding through the land, slaughtering the wicked and setting free the oppressed. But instead, the saviour, the Messiah is lying in a food trough wrapped in the garments that were there designed to look after little lambs when they were born in the cold months and things like that in the humblest of circumstances. He was born to save, born as the anointed one of God, born even by the angel's declaration to set the people free. And here he is, helpless, totally dependent on his mum and dad to look after him, totally dependent on God to watch over him as the Lord does, gives people dreams and visions to help him stay one step ahead of the, those who are trying to kill him, like Herod. What does it say to us that he did that? I've come to the conclusion that the humanity of Christ is nowhere on display more than this moment. That his full humanity is absolutely asserted by the fact that he went through everything for us. The writer of Hebrews 
goes on in chapter 4, verse 15, to say, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses. You know, he's not the great God who doesn't know our experience and our life. He's not the perfect one who is separated from us by his perfection, by his holiness. Rather, we have one who has been tempted in every way. That doesn't just mean active temptation. That means put through every trial. It means tested, proven quality. That Jesus did everything for us. That includes lying helpless in a stable. It includes being a child, learning to walk. It includes going to school, having to learn. Being a teenager, dealing with rushes of hormones and having to make decisions, make godly choices. And, and we get just the briefest glimpse of that in Luke's Gospel. But Mary treasured all these things in her heart, it says. But this is what it means, that tempted, put through every test, experiencing every wrestle, every struggle, probably having to pick up his toys and help dad out in the shed. In fact, learning a trade. If you think learning a trade is hard and why should we have to do it or going to university and whatever it might be that God has called us to, Jesus has been there. So his victory in living a sinless life is exemplified on the cross as he dies for our sins, but it's on display for the entirety of his life. The significance of the baby, weak and helpless, the child who exercised obedience to his parents when they said, why did you disappear off into the crowd for t three days? We've been looking everywhere. It says, and he was obedient to them. And in that, he was obedient to his father God as well. But all of this speaks to us about his ability to save us. Because he took on our full humanity. Only God can save, but only mankind, you know, the price of sin is on us. It's on humanity. And so only our perfect representative can pay that price. Not because he's God, but because he's man. So, I guess, I just wanted us to take the time this Christmas not to rush past it, but to ponder and, and wonder. To gaze upon the beauty 
of a God who would, in his love for us, lay aside all his majesty. As Paul writes in in the letter to Philippians, actually empty himself of all the attributes of the power of God and come to us in weakness, in servitude, in humility. For us and for our salvation. That we would be actually drawn then into the life of God. That is what he's opened up for us. What, what Hebrews calls a new and living way. Life. Because he is also God. He gives life. He is for us the perfect expression of God revealed to us. He is also the perfect expression and revelation of true humanity. Humanity is God intended. And the heart of God for you and me is seen in Jesus I want to finish just by reading a few words from Tozer. And I was just going to sort of build this into my message and not give credit where credit is due. (laughs) But I just find this so moving. This is, um, it starts with Toza commenting on, on the creeds and, and what they declare. He says, This manifesto declares that Christ is God of the substance of his Father, begotten before all ages, man of the substance of his mother, born in the world, perfect God and perfect man of a reasonable soul and human flesh subsisting, equal to his Father as touching his Godhead, less than the Father as touching his manhood. In this is mystery, the mystery of the incarnation, the wonder of it. Who, although he be God and man, yet he is not two, but one Christ. One, not by the conversion of the Godhead into flesh, but by the taking of the manhood into God. Wow. One altogether, not by the confusion of substance, but by the unity of person. For as the reasonable soul and flesh is one man, so God and man is one Christ. And in a sense, in that sense, he is absolutely unique. That's why Paul is so, his favorite phrase almost is, in Christ. Because it's not on our own. He didn't sort of create a formula by which we can follow. No, he is the way. 
He is the truth. He is the life and it's in him that this is true. Even among those who acknowledge the deity of Christ, there is often a failure to recognise his manhood. So let's take time this Christmas as we think about a tiny baby in a stable in Bethlehem 2,000 years ago. The clarity of that moment declaring his manhood. We are quick to assert that when he walked the earth, he was God with men, as the prophets had. Emmanuel, God with us. But we overlook a truth equally as important, that where he sits now, on his mediatorial throne, he is man with God. There is a man in heaven, appearing in the presence of God for us. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. Jesus, we thank you. We thank you that right now you live to intercede on our behalf. Thank you that you came. And that when we strip it all away, no matter when, what month of the year you were born, or what date, and pretty sure it wasn't December 25, but it happened. And it happened for us. That you lived, and every day of your life, not just, not just the last week of your passion, but every day of your life was lived for us. And I thank you, Lord, that now by faith we are included in you and in the life that you give. And we come to worship you. And Lord, we may not understand it all. I, I think of those three Magi, these sages who weren't even Jews. They, who knows what they thought other than they had enough of the knowledge from your Holy Spirit to know that this child is born a king but not a king like we would know not a king like we would recognize but they came anyway and they worshipped and so Lord help us in our limited knowledge in our limited grasp of the truth And of what you have done, help us, Lord, to worship. Amen.